Welcome to the Data Strategy Show. My name's Samir Sharma, and I'll be your host for the next 60 minutes. My guest today on the show is John Thompson. John is an international technology executive with over 30 years of experience in the business intelligence and advanced analytics fields. Currently, John is responsible for the global advanced analytics and artificial intelligence team and efforts at CSL. Prior to CSL, John was an executive partner at Gartner, where he was a consultant to market-leading companies in the areas of digital transformation, data monetization, and advanced analytics. And before Gartner, John was responsible for the advanced analytics business unit of the Dell Software Group. In 2017, John co-authored his first book, How to Win with Intelligence, which debuted as the number one new book in analytics. It's a book that guides non-technical executives through the journey of creating an analytics function, funding initiatives, and driving change in business operations through data and applied analytical applications. In June 2020, he celebrated his latest book, Building Analytics Teams, Leveraging Analytics and Artificial Intelligence for Business Improvement. One of John's primary areas of focus and interest has been to create innovative technologies to increase the value derived by organizations around the world. John has built startup organizations from the ground up and he has re-engineered business units of Fortune 500 firms to reach their potential. I hope you really enjoy this episode. We've got some great insights from John. Please do like, share and leave your comments. Thank you very much. John Thompson, welcome to the Data Strategy Show. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show today. Listen, John, you're the Global Head of Advanced Analytics and AI at CSL Bearing. Um, just tell us a little bit about your background. Well, thanks for having me, Samir. It's pleasure. Uh, been very exciting to uh, talk to you and get this lined up and be on the show. I know you've had many other thought leaders on on the uh, the, the podcast, the program, and I'm I'm happy to be part of your uh, cadre of experts. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been in the uh, advanced analytics and artificial intelligence space for many years. I started out uh, 35, 37 years ago. Wow. Uh, you know, I had a, had a revelation when I came out of college that data and analytics were going to be the future. And uh, it just took a, a couple decades longer than I thought it would take. <laughs> but I've been consistent in my focus that uh, I've always believed that the world was going to come around to the understanding that mm -hmm. it all comes down to data and analytics. And I, I've stuck with it. So I've worked across uh, 20 different industries and, and have helped implement 60 different advanced analytic applications. And wow. I love it. It's yeah. just a, a great journey and a, a wonderful career so far. Yeah. And you've written two books as well. Uh, yeah. One around sort of an executive type education. Well, I think most both of them probably are pitched in the same way in terms of getting executives to understand how to mobilize this thing called advanced analytics or, you know, at that time, the AI wasn't featuring. But then now, you know, your latest book is Building Analytics Teams. Tell us a little bit why, you know, I can understand the first book and the education piece. What what made you arrive at the opinion that, oh, I've got to write this other book because I'm now seeing a whole new, you know, challenge out there in, in, within industries and companies? Yeah, as you said, the, the first book was really for C-level, non-technical C-level executives, because mm. at the time I was flying, it was about five years ago, I was flying all over the world for Dell. 
And I would sit down with CEOs, CFOs, C, uh, you know, COOs, and I'd start talking about advanced analytics and data. And you could see that they were reticent. They had some real <laughs> apprehension about yeah. what's going to happen. <laughs> that was that and, sort of deer in headlights moment, was it? Yeah. <laughs> what Bain and Deloitte were telling them. So I thought, I'll write that book. And that, that book did well. Yeah. And then in the intervening three years, I, I really started hearing in the press and from different pundits that, you know, AI isn't being successful and advanced mm-hmm. analytics is the driving change and it isn't, you know, it isn't doing this, it isn't doing that. And, and it really came down to one of the big problems that I recognize is that the, the teams weren't being funded right, they weren't being built well, they weren't being managed correctly, mm-hmm. uh, the projects weren't focused in the right areas, they were selecting the wrong projects. So I thought, I'm just going to write a, a, a how-to book, a pretty okay. substantial book on mm-hmm. how do you actually start an advanced analytics function and how do you make it a high-performing uh, function that can actually drive change mm-hmm. in the business. So I, I just saw a need in the marketplace. So that's, that's why I wrote the book. That's, that's awesome. Listen, we'll come to the book in a second. But I have to ask you this. You, you just stated when you left university, you had an epiphany, a revelation, whatever that might be. What was that? Because that was, you know, okay, I'm going to say it was 37 years ago, whenever that was, you know, and how did you foresee, what was that moment that led you to that, you know, uh, thought process of saying, do you know what, data analytics is the place to be? Yeah, it was, it was one of those things that, you know, I was asked to write all sorts of systems and I was writing in assembler and, you know, the old languages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On all that kind of stuff. Yep. And in about three years of doing that, I just recognized that everything that I was driving for and everything I was doing, number one was based on data. Mm-hmm. And number two was trying to drive better insights and decisions in the business. That's all sure. it really was. That was the core of everything that we were doing. Now, of course, this, the systems were more low level. They were transactional mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Of course. But whenever I was brought into a management level meeting, it was always, what can we do here? How can we fix this? Well, how can we get better insight? Where's the data? And I, I just thought, well, if that's really where we're at, we've mm-hmm. got a long way to go mm. to bring data together, to clean it up, to use it and turn it into something that, you know, a CEO or a VP or an SVP or a director can actually use. So I thought, oh, this is, you know, this will all be done in five to six, seven, eight, nine years. We'll have it all licked and it'll be finished. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 30 plus years later we're still working on it <laughs> so so let me ask you this then what, what if what are the sort of the, the barriers or the challenges you've seen over that 30 year period um you know as you just said we've you know however many years later we've come to the same types of you know things and and you know analyst firms saying projects are failing and blah 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 what still are the challenges you know that 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 mm-hmm. companies are facing um in today's situation with dna data analytics i should say yeah you know we we've consistently moved the the frontier Mm. forward there's no doubt about it you know when when i started there was no even concept of business intelligence data warehousing uh, management decision support you know none of that stuff existed so Mm. we have made great progress i don't want people to think that we're still working on the same you know problems we were way back yeah no 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 i I think that's yes Uh, yeah, so we've made progress, but we still are challenged. The technology is not there yet. You mm-hmm. know, we're still, you know, we, we've done spreadsheets, we've done databases, we've done BI and dashboards. That's all done and dusted. 
you know, we've moved on now. We're into advanced analytics, mm-hmm. statistics, mathematics, artificial intelligence. I mean, this week alone, I've seen multiple announcements on the advancements of advanced analytics. I mean, we're okay. still kind of tight in machine learning and in neural networks. You know, we're still sure. kind of hanging around that center of gravity. You know, we saw something about liquid networks that are starting to learn. You know, we don't have the, we're starting to move away from the, the train and then run. Yeah, okay. Paradigm. And then learn. Okay. okay. We're moving into a continuous learning paradigm. Mm-hmm. We've seen huge uh, benefits and advances over the last two years on explainable AI. Yep. Where we're starting to bring together multiple mathematical concepts so we can have insight into what models are actually doing. Those things are really moving forward and, and we see great right. progress. So, okay. you know, this morning we saw some people talking on LinkedIn about artificial general intelligence. Mm-hmm. Believe me, we're nowhere near that. No, we're not. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, my, my date for AGI is, is 2250. So right. you don't worry about it. Your kids don't worry yeah. about it. Maybe their kids or their kids have. Yeah, we'll worry about, about it. it. Yeah. We have a long way to yeah. go. Yeah. Um, but we still are running into the same cultural barriers. You run into it every day in your work. Yep. You know, I sit down with the executives and I have conversations with them about what we can do. And most of the time, it's pretty clear they can't tell if I'm talking about magic or data science because <laughs> they just <laughs> they don't understand it. So, oh, boy. We as data science leaders mm. really need to be working. The, most of my job is, is talking to people about, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But you need to realize as, as an owner, SVP, EVP, C-level executive, the owner of the supply chain, the manufacturing operations, the pricing, customer-facing you know, sales and marketing, you need to understand that when we do this project, the six months, nine months, a year that it's going to take, when we come back with the insights you're going to have to change the processes you operate. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to change mm-hmm. how the manufacturing line runs. You're going to have to change how the supply chain operates. You're going to have to change pricing. And that all touches almost every function of the business. So yeah. you know, you're going to have to retrain people. You're going to have to upskill them. You're going to have to do all this. So what I see, the problem, the real problem that we're still having is the organizations are too rigid. They're okay. not ready to be nimble enough to right. take advantage of the insights and, and the in, the insights and the changes that we're we're showing them that need to be undertaken. So, so that rigidity, that that organizational uh, immaturity, I guess, is what we're talking about, um, and and the fact that they um, are still, you know, I'm not eons away, but you know, years away from really getting benefit and, and, and value creation from this thing called advanced analytics or AI. Um, how do you as an analytics leader then have the conversations with those people that bring them to that thought process of saying, now I know why we need it. Mm-hmm. If that's missing, then what is that process that you go by mm-hmm. um, to fundamentally shift that mindset? Yeah, that's a great question, Samir. And, and the way I generally do it is that I'm, I'm always reading, you know, we've cited, mm. you know, things I've been reading this morning and things I'm writing all the time. And, you know, so McKinsey is a, a great source for, for research in this area. Uh, their, their AI group is always talking about what's going on in the marketplace. They have their a- annual AI survey and, and mm-hmm. I really like their research. But of course, there's many other, many other people talking about it. But McKinsey has, has shown in their research that 
the leading firms have already invested in AI, have already seen the benefit from it, are changing their processes and are getting better and are making more money. If you if you bring it up to yeah. the highest level possible, yeah. they're more profitable. Absolutely. Because they have AI teams that they're using and, and they're changing the way they do business. Now, when you move back into the, you know, the early majority firms in, in any industry, you know, they're they're kind of using AI, but they're not all in yet. So the leaders are actually moving away from the early majority. Then when you move into the late majority, they're skeptical of AI. And then when you get to the laggards, they don't believe at all. So the way I explain it is that where do you think this firm is? Where Mm -hmm. do you think our company is? Do you want to be a leader in the industry and moving away? Or do you want to be losing ground and staying where where we are today? Generally, that conversation is all you need to really have. And that's a pretty powerful conversation to have if you're sitting in front of a CEO or yeah. the C-suite, right? I mean, that's going to hit them right where it hurts because yes. there's, no uh, other, there's no other response to that, is there? Yeah, it's like, okay, do you want to round? <laughs> do you want to make money or not? Yeah. yeah, do you want to make money or not? And, it's, and the, usually the answer is, okay, how much is this going to take? How long yeah. is it going to take? How many people do you need? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so. and, and, and I guess there's a, you know, where lots of those companies are, they're not even, and I would probably from, you know, say it from my experience, they're not even really at that AI focus. Um, a lot of people are still embedded in this whole BI or self-service or whatever it might be, which quite frankly is so kind of out of date. And I think that's caused a lot of the cultural, you know, uh, issues that we're, we're currently sort of, you know, experiencing. So, you know, okay, I'm a, I'm a leader. I'm, I'm thinking about it now and I'm saying, right, we've got to go full force with this thing called data and analytics. Yes, we've got pockets of things lying around in the organization. Um, but I need to hire a, uh, an advanced analytics team, right? What's the DNA of that team? That's a great question. And, and you know, if, if anybody's read my, my book, they know that I have very strong views on mm. this or if you've heard me, heard me speak before. Um, you, you need to start out with hiring a, a leader, you know, someone who's going to run that team and someone who understands that advanced analytics, data science, data engineers, those kind of people are not IT professionals. They are yeah. not your bog standard developers. They're very creative. They're very uh, interested in math mm-hmm. and science and data, and they're very engaged in their work. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to you need to hire a group of people that don't look like anybody else in the organization, and that mm-hmm. is an opportunity and a problem at the same time. Um, because yeah. those folks, you know, they're they're very creative. They're very smart. Uh, they're also very expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, you know, I talk about the two different uh, structures in a data science team. There's the artisanal team where you hire people who are artisans who do everything from problem statement, project charter, data acquisition, data integration, feature engineering, model building, uh, subject matter, expert relationship engagement, ex- executive engagement. They do it all. Or you can hire a team that's like more like a modular team. I have people mm-hmm. that do data engineering. I have people who do feature engineering. Right. Okay. Modeling. Yeah, yeah. And then people are like, oh, well, one sounds more expensive than the other. And the fact is they're pretty much the same cost. You know, in an artisanal team, you'll end up with maybe 10 or 15 people. On a modular team, you'll end up with 30. But the pay discrepancy is such that they cost the same. Same. And that was one of my questions. So I've just rubbed it out now. 
written down. I mean, you you got there already. So, I I mean, this whole artisanal and modular, the thing for me is, and most of the time we see um, what you've just described there as a data scientist who can do that artisanal. And I would say that's the end-to-end piece. That's the engagement. That's the stakeholder management. That's really understanding the business and the way it operates and, 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 and understanding the challenges and, you know, getting down to even sitting with a BA maybe, maybe and, and understanding business processes, because yes. what do we need to break? What, what, what is working well? What's not? Mm-hmm. And then the whole gamut. Isn't that a bit of a, um, isn't that the bit which people think a data scientist can do everything, you know, and they well, are this magician? They, some are mm. and can, mm. but there's very few of those people. They're hard yes. to find. Yes. And they're getting more and more expensive. Yes. You know, I just, I, you know, we pay well at CSL and the data science mm. team. And I just had a conversation with one of my employees yesterday that said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking around, but I'm getting feedback from my peers that, you know, I'm, I'm not keeping up with the, uh, the Kardashians, <laughs> okay. you know, and it, it was like, okay, cool. You know, yeah. I, I'm glad you're telling me, you know, so yeah. the market is continually rewarding these people sure. with higher and higher sure. compensation. Sure. So they're looking for environments where they're respected, mm-hmm. they're engaged, mm-hmm. they're given challenging work mm-hmm. and they're, they're, you know, let alone to do the good work that they can do. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a conversation, this is kind of tangential to what mm-hmm. we're talking about, but I think it's illustrative that, you know, about two years ago, some people came to me and said, you know, Hey, you've got the advanced analytics and the AI team. We're going to give you the RPA stuff too, oh, the robotic okay. process of yep. automation. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, well, cool. Let's have a conversation about that. I'm open to doing more and having more in my team. I said, we're going to have to hire some, uh, people to do RPA work. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 your data scientists will do it. And I said, you know what? I said, we can give it to them yeah. and they will all quit. Yep. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I said, RPA is more like BI and business analyst work. And Correct. there's nothing Correct. wrong with that kind of work. Yep. But data scientists don't show up to click buttons on a user interface to do yep. process work. You know, yep. they want to look at data. They want to discern new patterns. They want to discover they want to have impact on the business at a strategic level. Mm-hmm. We generally don't talk about that in the data science team because strategery is not something data scientists really care about. What they really care about is impact. Yes. They want to do something that's going to make a difference. Yes. And, and, and that could be, you know, but I mean, from a business perspective, they're still saying, what is the business challenge? What is it that I'm, you know, trying to solve, break down? Very um, articulately put there. So yeah. One thing that we do need to make sure that people Mm. don't walk away, you know, being a little bit misinformed in our conversation here is that, you know, artisanal data scientist teams is where I generally start. I I like to start there. I like to work with those people. They, they are not, they don't do things in a vacuum. You know, when we do projects, we have BAs, we call them subject matter experts that are tied at the hip with the data scientists, Mm -hmm. you know, because we know math, we know data, we know what we can do. But, you know, business processes and, and all these different phenomena or operations are different in most businesses. Mm-hmm. There's, there's idiosyncrasies and, and things that need to be accounted for that the subject matter experts know. So when you put those two together, then you can have a winning uh, Absolutely. I agree with you uh, on that sentiment uh, completely. Um, I'm often 
um, intrigued by the number of, um, let's say, uh, but by how busy the C-suite is. You know, the C-suite has got this week, there's a new arrival. Next week, there'll be another new arrival. In a couple of weeks, there'll be a new, another new job or what, you know, another new technology that will make out that there'll be a new C-suite um, uh, position. It, you know, I'm going to quote something that you said. Um, and I'll ask you the question. You said, organizations can sow the seeds of failure from the very beginning of an endeavor and never know it until it's too late. So where do advanced analytics and AI, or you know, let's just call it that advanced analytics piece, where does it sit in the organization? It's a good question. I, I've been very vocal about this as well, <laughs> that uh, I believe that it needs to be as high in the organization as possible mm -hmm. for all the reasons that we've talked about. It should report to the CEO or the COO. That's the only two places, in my opinion, where it should okay. report. Okay. Now, I, I've had conversations with people uh, who do report into CIOs, and and they've uh, you know berated me for my position that you know they work for a CIO <laughs> who's visionary and intelligent and forward looking and and is a wonderful person and, and helps them develop their career and gets budgets and all that other kind of stuff. Sure. Sure. And and, and I take and, that, and there are know, some. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm talking on broad brush strokes here. You know, if you want your data science team to be as impactful as possible, who else in the organization between those two roles, besides those two roles, can go to a line of business executive and say, once this project is done, you are going to re-engineer your processes mm -hmm. to make sure that you are mm -hmm. taking advantage of the insights delivered, and, you know, from this project. Nobody, yeah. you can't yeah. have the CFO go over to the uh, head of up manufacturing and do that. You can't mm -hmm. have the CIO go tell the, CMO to do it, that doesn't work. They're peers. So if you really want the change management to happen mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. really want to be serious about it, then it needs to be the CEO or the COO. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I, uh, it, it's often um, a, a very perhaps contentious issue because we've now got, th we've now got positions like the, the, as you know, the chief data officer, the chief analytics officer, or the chief AI officer, um, the chief data and information officer. I mean, there's so many titles. So I think for me, something like that is absolutely uh, should be driven from the top and have enough uh, uh, impetus to ensure that we can break down those barriers between. And I think it's the word that you used, change management, because that's essentially what this this team is driving at. Right. So on that note, then, how do you start to embed um, into analytics teams, into advanced analytics teams, how do you start to embed that sense of change management? What 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 frameworks or what what kind of processes do you ask them to consider or train in? Mm -hmm. Well, it uh, it all starts with the data science leadership. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about it. You know, I tell my data scientists that you work on the projects, uh, I'll deal with the change management function part of it. You know, because data scientists even very good artisanal data scientists, you know, they have to be really good at communication. They have to be mm. good at presentations. They have to be great modelers. Yeah. They have to be understand data integration. They have a lot on their plate. Yeah. So while I expect them to be able to present to SVPs, EVPs, and C-level executives, I don't expect them to go toe-to-toe -to, -toe to fight with those executives to get approval for things mm. to get done. Of course. So of course. my job 
as, a, as an analytics leader. And the job of all of us as analytics leaders is to have those discussions with people before we start the projects sure. and, and convince them that there is going to be the value in the change management there. I, I generally don't say this and, I, and I'm reticent to actually say it, but I think it's something that needs to be said is that, mm-hmm. you know, the data science or the AI function, whatever you want to call it, is really the driver of all digital transformation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you really want to understand how to transform an area, do the analytics first. Mm-hmm. You know, then you can come back and say, okay, you know, our, our customer acquisition function doesn't work as well as it could. And it can be better if we do this or mm-hmm. our supply chain operation is inefficient in these areas and we should change it. So I'm a big believer that the work that we do is the tip of the spear in digital transformation. Okay. You know, we, we inform the re-engineering of the processes. We reinform the, re-inform the process intelligence mm-hmm. and we allow people to lay down the new roads that are more efficient than the past roads. So you know, I try not to conflate those two together. Oh, yeah. Digital transformation is another big bugbear that you don't want to really dive I, into. That, absolutely. That I agree. Uh, but advanced analytics really is, you know, an AI, I think, is the, the leading edge of all that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, when you start, so, you know, say, say let's take a, 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 um, a, a particular project or something like that, a CSL bearing, you know, You've you've hired in a bunch of data scientists. You've got you know this artisanal team, um, and how do you start to engage with the business and start to say, well, guys, you know we've got this team now. They're here. We we've got the credibility. We've we've got the people with the knowledge. They understand what they're doing. How do you start to build that prioritization with the business and pick off what's what's the right thing to do? Um, right. Is it is it a proof of concept? Is it you know how do you determine that as CSL? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great question. This example is obviously pre-COVID, so you mm. can you know bend it for post-COVID. But <laughs> um, I I had six hundred meetings in the first wow. uh, nine months, so I counted. You know, oh my I, goodness! I, you know, I met with everybody from the C-suite down to people who worked on the the manufacturing floor, and I was in Australia and Europe and all over mm-hmm. the world meeting with mm-hmm. people. And you know that it, it sounds more challenging than it is you know that sometimes people in analytics are like oh i don't you know i i'm gonna have to create something to do um no you don't (laughs) all businesses have more strategic challenges than they can undertake yeah so get high enough in the organization and find out what people say and it could be something is our pricing is wrong Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. okay you know that's the tip of that's the tip of the iceberg uh you know and then you know just start drilling down on it you know over the last two years we did a, a complete and detailed analysis of our donor pricing model and we completely re- revamped it. You know, okay. I think it's the first time in decades that's yeah. ever happened. Yeah. And we, we've built a model. I can't say much more about it than that, but it is really, you know, putting our competitors in a, in a spot. Mm-hmm. They can't quite understand it. They haven't figured out what we've done and they probably won't be able to figure out what we've done because it's really complex and difficult to understand. It took us almost a year to get it right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we've done it, and and that was a, a real, uh, a very impactful strategic change okay. driven by okay. one of our data scientists. Yeah. So, you know, get up high enough in the organization, listen to what they have to say. You know, you'll probably get three or four strategic challenges out of one mm. half-hour conversation mm. with a C-level executive, 
and then you've probably got enough work for a year right there. Yeah, and 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 just by you saying that that the strategic challenges, that's the one thing that I don't see people doing a lot of. I see them sort of, as you said, making it up. What do we do now? Oh, you know, I've always done it this way, so we're gonna continue to to build on. You know, let's just go and fix a problem because I'm I'm very good at marketing, or I'm very good at you know something that's that's typical of of, of uh, you know a, a new project team. So in that sense. The strategic challenges are those objectives that the business is trying to achieve. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're trying and, to we're trying to acquire more customers. We're trying yeah. to, you know, have better margin. We're trying yeah. to, you know, acquire the best possible, you know, smaller firm in the marketplace. Yeah. All great opportunities for analytics. Correct. Correct. So you can start to model that behavior. You can start to understand. Um, the pinch points in that process, you can really start to understand where you're going to get the value creation across, you know, that whole value chain of, of data um, and business process and so on. Is there a particular framework that you offer data scientists to work within or, or is it the typical crisp DM or, you know, that you're working through? What's, what's the way that you ask your data scientists to, to work through? Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen crisp DM and I've, I know a lot of people that use it and it's, mm -hmm. it's a great process. I mm -hmm. remember, you know, contributing to it when it was originally written. Um, yeah. You know, we, we generally do a, a pretty standard process methodology. You know, we sit down, we understand, you know, the, the project charter, we write mm -hmm. up what we call project charters. And the data scientist does, or do you do that? The data scientists okay. do that, you okay. know, because they have to be bought in. It's their yeah. project, their yeah. timeline, it's, they're doing the work, so... You know, I review it and the mm -hmm. subject matter experts review it. And then we take it to the line of business and they, they approve it. And then off we go. Um, so it's pretty standard, you know, understand the problem, acquire the data. Then it gets a little bit, you know, squishy in the middle uh, because, you know, as data scientists, we want to try, you know, new and interesting things. We want to integrate different kinds of data. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes we go down paths and we fail. So, you know, that's where the difference comes in around a data science versus just a straight up development project. Yeah. You know, in, in developing a database and developing a dashboard, putting in an ERP system or a CRM system, you start at this date and you end at that date. Yeah. And there's some deviation yeah. in there, but it's, it's not pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much the yeah. same. Yeah. You know, you add more people, you take people out, it goes yeah. faster, it goes slower. You know, with, with data science, you get in the middle there and you're like, I think I'll try a, a clustering technique or I'll, right. I'll do a, a tree or I'll go after regression or I'll try a neural net. You may try three or four of those, you know, and you mm -hmm. may spend two mm -hmm. or three weeks, you know, drifting around in the desert until you yeah. actually find something that works. And, and that's hard for people to understand because they generally, non-technical people, executives and senior managers think that, that data science is a technology function. Sure. Not. No. That's, you know, when you put it under IT, you do it as a disservice mm -hmm. by people mm -hmm. perceiving that it's a technology function. It's more of a strategy function than it mm -hmm. is a technology mm -hmm. function. That's, mm -hmm. why, that's why I suggest that it reports into the CEO or the COO. Mm -hmm. So then, you you know, that's, that's where the, the process gets a little bit mushy and it's mm -hmm. hard to you know, say, you know, it's, you see it in cartoons, magic happens here, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I get it. You know, and then once you come out of that, then you actually turn into more of a linear process again. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to predict. The front end's easy to predict. The middle, it's a little bit yeah. more difficult. Yeah. The end of it, easy to predict. Once you get that done for the first cycle, 
it's very predictable. You know how often you're going to refresh the models, you know how long the refresh takes, you know how to get it out of development over into production and, mm -hmm. and, and put it into a production system. Mm -hmm. So the first time through is where all the, you know, the, the squishiness comes in and, sure. and you just need to explain it to people and have them understand that, you know, hey, it may be a day, it may be a month. Yeah. I don't really know how long this is going to take. Yeah. Yeah. And equally, you don't know whether you've got enough data, where it is, you might need to go and source data from external sources or wherever. So I think that's one of the things. And, you know, j just as you were talking, some, some, some things um, came up in my mind. Listen, you, you know, we talked about, you know, building models and, you know, the squishy bit in the middle um, and, and a data scientist comes with that prepared, i.e. they've got the tools in their kit bag, right? Mm -hmm. But earlier in the conversation, you mentioned creativity. Mm -hmm. So what are the ideal traits? Now, I'm not going to talk about tools and technology because they are there. We don't need it. But to be a really, really good data scientist, apart from creativity, what are the other traits that I need? And I'm thinking about people who might tomorrow say, I'm finishing my you know, college, university, whatever it is, I want to be a data scientist. And they're going to go off and learn R and Python because everybody does. But what are the other, well, you know what I mean? What are the other things that people need to have that will help them improve as a data scientist that are not technology or tools related? Yeah. Curiosity mm -hmm. and integrity. Those okay. are the two things you need right there. Okay. Curiosity, because you're going to be tinkering. You're going to be trying different things out. Like you said, internal data at this point you know, using transactional data to figure out consumer behavior, customer behavior is pretty much done and dusted. Easy. There's, yeah, there's yeah. really yeah. no competitive advantage no. there. Correct. I mean, you know, you can use all the internal data you want and, yeah. you, and combine it in different ways, but a lot of that's been done and dusted mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. So you take all your internal data, you create, you know, you know, integrate it the best way you possibly can. And then you start bringing in external data, Yeah. you know, yeah. many, many different perspectives. I always think of it as like almost like the Death Star or a buckyball. <laughs> you know, your your problem space is this this three D you know sure. environment, and you're driving intersections and rods yeah. through it. Yeah. And when yeah. those rods hit, boy, that's that's where the magic happens. That's yeah. the competitive advantage. So, yeah. you know, curiosity is absolutely crucial. So you have to be curious. You have to mm -hmm. think of the math, the data, mm -hmm. the the mm -hmm. users that are going to use your data. How is yep. all that that going to come together? And integrity, because mm -hmm. I say integrity because you are going to fail and it takes someone with courage and, and, you know, integrity and forthrightness to stand up in front of a group and say, I tried this and it was a miserable failure. Mm -hmm. And this is the way, this is the reason it fell apart. And people who are not, who don't have integrity and don't have honesty really have a hard time doing that. Yeah. You know, I they want to shade, yeah. they want to shade the truth. They want to make themselves look good all the time. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. not the way the world works. I think that's tough. Uh, Cause it, I, I think there's a, there's a point in your book where you talk about the in, introverted nature of, of a data scientist. And I think that's the one thing that probably distorts that fact that they will, you know, stay away from the limelight. I don't really want to talk about my failures because it's a failure, but I'm, I'm assuming that when you set up your teams, you're saying to them, look, I want you to fail. I expect you to yeah. fail. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I expect you to fail. Right. What, and how, he, how does that message go across when, you know, yeah, do they look at you like you're a nutcase? Or? <laughs> yeah, a lot of times, yes. You know, that's, that happens all the time. But, um, 
Yeah, it's the younger. We do hire a lot of younger people. Um, okay. We we like them to be uh, oblivious of where the guardrails are. You know, we want them you. to jump. We want them yeah. to jump off mountains and cliffs all the time. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, the first couple times when they when they fail, they will be rather shy, and and th- it'll be hard for them to come forward mm-hmm. and put their hand up mm-hmm. and say, "Yeah, it just didn't work." Yeah. You know, I just wasted two weeks on this and. We're like, okay, that's great. Tell us, tell us why it didn't work. And it was either a data failure, or it was un- the, it was unsuited. That mm-hmm. kind of technique didn't mm-hmm. work, or whatever mm-hmm. it was. But you know, once they get over that, you know, then we have we have weekly meetings every week where everybody goes around on their projects, and you know, someone, you know, with fair regularity will raise their hand and say, yeah, that just didn't work. <laughs> you know, and and a lot of people around the other data scientists will kind of smirk and you know, oh, yeah. their feet and go, yeah, we knew it. You know, we. Told- <laughs> do but you know we're all the same we got to do it ourselves you know yeah we have to learn you know on our own yeah but no no one you know takes takes the piss you know it's like okay Mm. great Mm. you tried it it didn't work and and why and you learn and you move on and and we all look at each other's code and we all talk about what we tried and what we didn't try and what worked and what didn't work it's a very collaborative and supportive environment and i i think that's important specifically for those um, introverted types. I mean, not all data scientists are introverted. I've worked with data scientists who are very extroverted, actually, and who've got huge cre- creativity um, yeah. and can sit down with a business, you know, uh, an SME or a business person and absolutely drive value in that sense. But I've also seen the other side when they're shy, they, you know, don't yeah. want to engage because it's not within their hierarchy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is something that I often see. How do you, how do you get the creativity, the integrity piece, the technology, but how do you get those people to say, look, they may be the, the executive vice president of so-and-so, but so what, you know, it's just a person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I continue. So I have to coach my teams, you know, in that sense to say, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I won't say it now, but you know, I, I, I used to, um, work, um, uh, in, in the, the area of um, government. And uh, so you, I had to present to a lot of ministers all the time. My, the first time I presented to a minister, I had to call up our um, uh, parliamentary regulatory uh, liaison guy. And I said, look, Tom, what's, you know, I'm dreading it right now. He said, listen, they all go to the toilet the same way. I know it's terrible to say that. <laughs> and in that moment, I thought, oh, you're right. What am I worried about? Yeah. yeah. So I think it's really, you know, I do use that when I speak to, to you know, uh, data architects or, da- you know, uh, the, the, the data scientists or data engineers. This is normal life. So, mm-hmm. listen, what I want to do is I want to I want to shift gears uh, okay. slightly. Um, so very recently, uh, the EU talked about something around uh, the data commons or the data dividend. Um, and. You know, we see that post GDPR and all those kind of things, and I don't want to get onto the, the two of a narrative on privacy, but I, I understand where we're going. How far do you think that, you know, the data dividend will be taken and what's, what's in it for us? I think this is, um, this is a groundbreaking move by the EU. Just, you know, just as GDPR was mm-hmm. what, 15 years ago or whenever yeah. it was, I, I've got that date. Yeah, I mean, don't, yeah. don't, you know, don't flood us with comments that we don't know mm-hmm. our dates because we don't. But, uh, you know, I, I think that this, this move for the data dividend, the data commons, 
you know, portends a massive change in how data is perceived. I just saw a story last night. Well, it was recorded, so it was past Sunday on American program called 60 Minutes. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, the Chinese are hoovering up every bit of genetics and bio data they can find about every citizen in the world yeah. and building a massive database so they can mm -hmm. use it for whatever purposes the Chinese mm -hmm. communist government want to use it mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. But I, I do believe that this is, the, you know, it's the pebble that's thrown into the, the pond that the, the waves look awfully small, but that, that is a misrepresentation. This is mm -hmm. going to be a tsunami over the next mm -hmm. five to 10 years. The, mm. you know, the, the way that data is going to be treated, the monetization of it, the individual control of it, you know, the people that, are, that sit back and go, hey, you know, I'm fine with giving Google all my browsing data because I get Gmail for free. Well, I can tell you, I can guarantee you that's not a good bargain. Mm -hmm. You know, your data mm -hmm. is worth a lot more than a free email Agreed. system. I can guarantee Absolutely you. Agree. So we are, we are at the beginning. We are at the, the you know, maybe not even the knee of the curve. The curve is just starting to go up. And the way that we treat and think about data is going to mm -hmm. change radically mm -hmm. in the rest of our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. so, so essentially what you're saying is that I will have control over my data, my personal data, and I will be able to effectively say to a company, here's the value exchange. I'm going to give you this, but you're going to give me that. That's right. And it That's could right. be a monetary value. It could, it could be, be, you know, 10,000 pounds or $10,000 or whatever it might be, whatever. you yeah. know, and, and how, how would, um, you know, that's going to rock some of those companies. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that the EU um, mm. is starting this now. They started it last February or a year ago now. Mm. Um, this is going to roll through the governments. Uh, you know, it's going to roll through the EU. It's going to come to Britain. It'll go to California then sweep across America, just like everything else does. Um, you know, the, 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 the benefit of it is that, you know, the companies like Google and Facebook and, and those kind of people will actually have to pay for the raw material they use because they've been getting, I mean, how many house builders get free plywood? I, I don't know of any, you know, <laughs> it's Facebook, great. Yeah. Facebook and Google have been getting free plywood forever, yeah. you know, to build their, build their mountains and make, make mm -hmm. their executives wealthy. You know, mm. it's time for that value to be considered and that value to be driven back to the people who actually deserve it. And that's you and me. Yeah. So, you know, it could be that you go in and say, you know, I don't like companies that do animal testing. Right. And, and you may say, I don't want them to have my data ever. Or you may say they can have my data, but they have to pay me a thousand times more mm -hmm. than anybody mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's a statement right there. So, you know, if, if you could get into the data commons and look at people's settings, there's, there's quite a commentary on people's beliefs sure, in systems sure. right there. Absolutely. So this is all going to change. It's, it's yeah. all in, in it yeah. started. And I guess that will drive, you know, a lot of people talk about the ethical side of AI, the ethical side of, of how we use data. That's really going to drive that narrative now. Um, in a very different direction, as you say, probably for the better. But I wonder, um, you know, the resultant effect that will have on this continuous um, jockeying between governments and these big organizations. These, you know, we know them as the fangs, you know, the, the, the Facebooks, the, you know, the Alibabas, the Amazons and Netflix and Googles and so on. Um, you know, so there's still tension between those two. 
And I think the tension will only grow um, yes. to the extent, you know, where, where this, as you say, will become uh, a tsunami or, yeah. or the potentially the opposite could happen. That's possible. You know. the, the, the governments yeah. fail in yeah. their being in their responsibility. You know, most people, have, they're, they're not very good at history. You know, we, yeah. we forget that many of the good things that have come out of, you know, America were driven by government, you know, investment, NASA, you know, mm -hmm. all the things that came out of the NASA programs, mm -hmm. you know, that that was all government funding. Yep. Much of Silicon Valley was started with government funding. You know, there's there's a huge role for the U.S. government, the British government, the EU, uh, all governments around the world to play a role in innovation and regulation. There's been this really weird backlash in America that, you know, government has no role, you know, and government isn't mm. there to, to help us. That's not true. Government has a role to play in the innovation and the, you know, diversity, equity, and sure. inclusion conversation. Mm -hmm. And they need to mm -hmm. drive society in a certain direction because capitalism won't drive it in the right direction. Capitalism will drive it to where what we've seen an accumulation of wealth by a smaller and smaller portion of the population, yeah. which is not the way societies need to work. So this is the beginning of a big change. Mm -hmm. and, and I do mm -hmm. believe that governments will step up and they will regulate it and they will drive it because they will see the benefit, you know, to, you know, you know, income reallocation and these organizations being paid, being made to pay the true, mm -hmm. true cost you, of their yeah. production. Yeah. And, and I guess it's also incumbent on us to be a part of that because the call out, yeah from many governments over the last couple of years has been, we're going to do our data strategy. You know, there's been several, the EU's got the data strategy, the UK's got their data strategy, they've been going through consultations, etc. cetera. Um, I, I don't know whether that's, you know, that, that's going to be good enough. Um, and time will tell. You, yeah. know, they're, they're, you know, we do need to give a shout out to Tim Berners-Lee. Mm. You know, mm. he was working on his uh, project Solid for many years, and now he's turned it into, I think his new firm is called Interrupt, or yeah, I think it's called Interrupt, mm -hmm. it's spelled in a funny way. But, you know, he's, I mean, he's one of the few people in the world who sits at a place where he knows, you know, the way the World Wide Web grew was not yeah. the way he anticipated. But, I mean, who could have? Yeah, who, yeah, exactly. He had, he had been yeah. a, yeah. a true visionary to see the way mm -hmm. it would have gone. So he's coming back and saying, okay, this is not the way I expected it to go. These big behemoth companies dominating the, the landscape. You know, I really expected this to be more of a democratization and egalitarian mm. kind mm. of, you know, uh, you know, approach to it. And it didn't go that way, of course. So, no. you know, he's working to give the power, like you said, the power to be forgotten, the power to monetize the data, the power to accrue the value of that data to the person that created it. And ultimately, who really is the owner of it. So, yeah it's going to happen. It's mm -hmm. going to be messy and it's going to be in fits and starts, but mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. in the next, just as other initiatives have 20 years. Yeah. yeah it, it's inevitable yeah. in the yeah. next 15 to 20 years, this is going to yeah. be a reality. Okay. And, and I, I think that's um, for me, probably the right way that it should go because we are as, as you've just used the term monetization, we are continuously talking to, organizations about monetizing their data and that doesn't mean selling it on I, I don't feel that that's the true representation of data monetization yeah that's a narrow view 
Yeah, that is an hour view. So, so I'm I'm going to switch gears into that actually. So, so what's your view on data monetization and why corporations must think about it in a very different way that many people do about selling somebody's data across the, 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 the yeah we, we we've built multiple predictive applications that have a small portion of internal data mm-hmm. the majority of the data comes from external sources mm-hmm. and that is a, a form of data monetization in yeah. and of itself now we bought the data from someone else and that that transaction was a monetization of the data for that benefit. for that yeah now we are taking the data and using it as a raw material in our modeling process. Mm-hmm. We are going to monetize that effort through either more donors or being able to produce more therapies or having access to more markets or being more effective and efficient in our operations. That's data monetization as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So the use of data, not just the buying and selling, as you said earlier, that's a very narrow view. But the use of data to do a better job in any aspect of the data, in my opinion, is an element of data monetization. And, and, and you're right. And I think the, the other thing is that we have to remember, it doesn't mean that it generates uh, profits. It could mean it's a cost-saving element. Absolutely. You know. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. We're, we're doing a project right now that who knows if it will succeed or fail. <laughs> You know, but we've looked around the market for explicit information about how this certain market operates, and it doesn't exist. Oh, wow. There's no, there's no financial analysts that talk mm-hmm. about it. There's no technology analysts that collect it. There's no third-party uh, market research companies that do it. And we have a view that we can create it. Right. We can create okay. a proxy for measuring this market better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And we will be the only people in the world that have that data. Wow, And it is a synthesis of multiple sources of data mm-hmm. that we believe will give us an enormous competitive advantage. So that's a data monetization project. Right, right there. there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, can we just move into, um, uh, we're getting up to the top of the, the hour. So I just wanted to move into AI. Um, look, you know, we, you talked about um, uh, AGI and, and other aspects not being around until 2250. Um, right now, lots of companies are talking about uh, machine learning. Yeah, that's where it is right now. But there's this whole conversation. And last week, I think there was a paper that was released around explainable AI. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how close are we to true explainable AI? And I think you, you mentioned it earlier in one way, where you said, we're now looking at models and seeing the efficacy of those models built on top of models and so on. Yep. But I don't see the transparency there. And explainable AI is true transparency around mm-hmm. a decision that is being taken based yep. on a black box that spits something out. But I guess it's about the decision tree that we want to see out of that. How close are we to that now? And you know, um, is that something that is two years away, 10 years away? 30 years away? What's your view uh, on that? It's, it's now. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, it's now. We, we have companies out there like Weights and Measures and Pattern Computer and, and other people that are taking, you know, what we know as, as ML, which is mostly neural nets, um, mm-hmm. and, and being able to uh, decompose those and actually understand why those decisions are being made. So we're seeing ensembles of math being put together in ways 
that we can actually take those black boxes and turn them into glass boxes. We mm -hmm. can actually see why they're making those decisions. It used to be that they were too big and too complex mm. and too hard to understand, but that's not the case anymore because we are, we are approaching those completed networks with other large scale math approaches and coming out with rank lists of the effects of why they do what they do. Yeah. So we're not at a point now where the SEC, I'm talking U.S. federal governments here, sure. government agencies, the SEC and the FDA will accept those explainable models, and, but we will in the very mm. near future. And I'm sure mm. the U.K. regulators will do the same and so will the EU regulators because we want the power and the precision of those large networks, but we need the explainability. So we yes. have the early stages of it now. And, and private companies and, and public companies are using that in non-regulated ways today. Uh, we will be using it in regulated industries in the future. So mm -hmm. we have explainable AI today. Okay. And we had the, the leading edge of it. Mm -hmm. And we will get better and better and better uh, over the next year to 18 months. So I would say in 24 months from now, we won't be talking about explainable AI because it will all be explainable. Mm -hmm. We might we'll still be talking about ethical AI, I'm, I'm assuming. That'll yeah. be forever. <laughs> As you and I started talking about, you know, weeks ago or months ago, whenever we started talking, I started a red book about ethical AI. Yeah. And I just saw so many other books out there. I just threw up my hands and wrote, you know, building analytics teams <laughs> instead. So, oh, so you started doing that and then you wrote building that. Ah, yeah. I got you. Okay. Yeah, ethical AI is just... Man, oh, it's a big one. It's, it's a big one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think I could write a book on it. I could probably write four books on it. Mm, but, you know, it's it's just such a big area. Mm. Listen, talking about books, what do you got on the, the, the cards next? What's the... Uh... I'm, I'm going to write a book about data. That's why okay. I'm so passionate and interested in it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to write about the future of data. That may so be the third fun. book? The third book. Uh, I was just talking to a publisher this morning about it. They're very excited about it. We'll see if, if the, that's the one I go with or not. But uh, I, the last book took me three and a half months to write, uh, wow. which was an insane journey of, of just self-punishment. But uh, <laughs> you know. And I hope that that three and a half months has certainly earned you quite a penny. It's um, done all right. It's done. <laughs> yeah. um, that's, but, so you put a lot of sweat into that. I, yeah, you know, yeah. I remember you telling me you're up at 3 a.m. every morning. Mm -hmm. And I had a day job and a family and all that kind of stuff. And I'm still married. So that was good. That's quite um, extraordinary. I think you'll have to write a book about that. <laughs> a lot of people ask me about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think this book, this book will take me maybe six, nine months or a year to write. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. That's good. That's good. Listen, my last question to you. Where do you see the data industry going post-COVID? And what kinds of business models do you, do, do you see that need to be disrupted? Um, well, I've been, I've been pretty clear that I think the fangs all need to be disrupted. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Jeff Bezos and Amazon, but they're, they're probably the least offensive of, of all of them in the way that, I mean, they're pretty just straight up clear. You know, yeah. we sell you stuff and we use the data to sell you more stuff. That's, mm -hmm. that's about as you know, clear as you can get. You know, Google and Facebook and, and others, I think, are, are more duplicitous. Mm -hmm. You know, Google has gone quite a ways away from their do no evil where yes. they started. Um, yeah. So I think those those business models need to be di disrupted uh, completely. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, beyond disruption, as we talked about earlier, the, the data commons and the data yeah. the ability for the, the people, the individuals to interact with their data. I think mm-hmm. that's a whole new industry that needs to be created. Um, of course, those data commons and those dictionaries and the dividends will probably be government run mm-hmm. uh, in the beginning and probably for this ter- first 10 or 15 years. But those then will be spun off as private businesses. Yeah. So, you know, monopolies that are run by governments usually end up in private hands at some point. Look at NASA and SpaceX. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think those are the those are the biggest changes that we'll see. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, look. John Thompson, thank you so much for appearing on the show today. I've had such a great chat. I think yeah. we could have talked a huge amount more, but thank you so much. And, and listen, um, you know, where, where can people contact you? Where's your, you know, your book? Where are they, where are they all available? Just yeah, the, the books are on Amazon. So just go search for analytics, how to win with intelligence or building analytics teams. They're both out there, easy to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then connect with me on LinkedIn, John Thompson. I'm uh, easy to find. Awesome. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. Great conversation. Pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day.